Hello and welcome everyone. I'm William Fry and this is Down on Maine. Down on Maine is Beacon's publication covering all things small business, with a special focus on exit planning, acquisitions, and transfers. For more information, visit www.viabeacon.com. That's V-I-A-B-E-A-C-O-N.com. Thanks to everyone joining us today. We have a busy day recording, and I'm super excited about the first guest of the day, Max Fryer. Max is a managing partner at Calder Capital, an M&A firm in Michigan. Their clients range from revenues of $1 million to $100 million. But Max is also the co-founder of Small Business Deal Advisors. Small Business Deal Advisors serves Main Street businesses, and they have a thesis that aligns a lot with what we're doing at Beacon, so very excited to have them on. Um, and I know a topic that we'll get into a lot this morning is technology, something that I think both of us share a lot of respect and interest in. Um, and on that note, I know you've managed to spend a, a bit of time in the tech world in tandem with your time in the M&A world. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit about your personal journey? Um, sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's appreciated. Uh, I, I got involved in uh, mergers and acquisitions back in 2005. And kind of at that time, um, you know, uh, a lot of folks, a lot of business brokers still listed their business for sale advertisements in the newspaper. Um, it was interesting because when I worked at my first firm, some of the initial chatter, and I was hired specifically for marketing was, you know, how come the newspaper ads aren't getting our, our, our phones to ring anymore? Um, and so uh, I wasn't necessarily tasked with doing anything about that, sure. but I did start to look online and see what kind of some of the options were. Um, and that's where I found things like, you know, biz by sell was, was, uh, I don't know if it was in its infancy, but it was certainly uh, kind of the most prevalent one out there. And, um, you know, I started to list our opportunities on the internet and suddenly our, our phones and our emails started to light up. Um, I guess I would say in tandem with that, uh, I became really interested in SEO about 2005, 2006. And, uh, and I don't know how much you would know about the way SEO worked at that point, but it was extremely easy to manipulate Google's algorithm um, right. to, get your, to get your website top rank. And so I don't know why, but but maybe rule breaking is 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 in my personality profile. And so um, I was very intrigued with the ability to you know learn how to just you know use HTML tags, title tags, meta descriptions to you know completely alter what showed up in, in Google. And, and I wasn't trying to do anything nefarious. It was just, if I could get our opportunities and our website high, um, you know, I would do that. Uh, and, and I guess where that also led is I, I co-founded a, a web marketing and um, web development agency in 2010. Uh, and, I, and I still continue to own a um, minority share of that business. And they've really helped us, uh, you know, with our marketing online. So I guess the, the, that's the long answer. And the short answer is, sure web marketing, web development, um, software automation has kind of always fascinated me. That's great. And and when you kind of think of the trajectory that you experience before in the 90s, it was completely offline newspaper ads, then it became yes. more internet advertising. Obviously, one piece of pushback that we hear from sellers every now and then is that, you know what, a 10% commission for Main Street business seems kind of steep, because the legwork, if you will, may not be what it once was. How, kind of, how do you respond to that? Do you, do you agree with that? Or are there other ways that brokers can create and capture value and sellers just aren't appreciating that today? I mean, largely, I think that's going to come down to 
to the individual broker or the firm that you are working with. Um, there certainly are, you know, I guess introducers, um, for lack of a better word, are fairly prevalent in our industry. Um, and what I mean by that is it's, it's you know, kind of a business broker who will um, take a listing. They won't do a lot of discovery. They won't do a lot of talking with, with the prospect. They'll just uh, give them a, an engagement contract or a listing agreement. They sign it. They collect some financials. Um, they take, you know, they, they screenshot their website. They go to their Rolodex. They put a, you know, an ad on biz by sell that's, you know, poorly written and doesn't even have a photo. And they kind of hope their phone rings. And then if, if the phone does ring and they make a buyer introduction, uh, you know, they kind of, you know, the, the MO is kind of, hey, you know, let me know if it works out. I'll be expecting my check, right? I guess I would say in, in that instance, um, yeah, I, I don't think a 10% um, commission is justified. Um, now, I, I think, you know, in, in terms of, you know, how we try to operate, it's, you know, doing evaluation up front so the client knows what to expect. And I, and I think setting expectations is the name of this game. I mean, if you are going to sell your business and you have no idea what to expect in terms of valuation or deal structure or timeline or how the broker is going to go about uh, finding buyers, um, you know, I, th I think you might be in for some hard times. So uh, we do that up front at our small business deal advisors um, service. Uh, and then in terms of marketing, uh, I mean, I believe a fiduciary responsibility to a seller is to show them the market. And how can you show them the market if you're kind of flipping through your Rolodex or putting one ad on biz by sell? But without trying to sound too promotional, I mean, we are using all of the MLS sites. We have a large database of, of 70,000 buyers and professional advisors. And we, we make an effort to go out to that entire network um, to try to bring as many buyers as possible. I guess I would say the other, the other element to that is the, the consultative approach. I mean, if you're going to be an introducer and you're going to say buyer seller, you know, get to know each other and hopefully it'll work it out. There's very little value in that, but um, you know, most sellers sell their business one time and it's an emotional process. It's in, uh, it's an attachment or disattachment process and having somebody there that you can call, that's not going to bill you every hour uh, and that's gone through this before can be, very helpful. And quite, quite frankly, I think it can increase the chances of the sale. So it really is in the broker's best interest to stay engaged. And I guess I would say, I don't know whether that's worth 10%, but it certainly is worth more than, um, you know, the Rolodex introduction method. Right. It's almost like now with the internet, the broker should, rather than kind of taking the time savings and doing nothing, instead, they can increase the amount of time that they're doing consultative work, if you will. Or, or being really hands-on and thoughtful with the listing? You you would think they could. I, I, I think perhaps there's, a, I'm sure there are some that that do do that. And I think there's probably others who say, okay, well, it's really easy to, to get buyers to be interested. So I'm just going to go get as many listings as I possibly can. And uh, we, we call it the spaghetti model. Um, you know, they right. throw, throw things against the wall. If it sticks, great. And if it doesn't, well, you just move on. And I think that's why you see this kind of, um, you know, this low uh, closing rate um, you know, can be prevalent in our industry. And it's more, what you're saying is it's more kind of the upfront um, diligence process of the broker is non-existent because they're just trying to take a spaghetti approach. And so you start seeing kind of the, the lack yeah. of conversion at well, the end. I, I look at it as, you know, if you have 20 listings and you close 20% of those, 
you're going to close four deals and you probably could still clear 125, 150,000. Right. Sure. So I, I think when, when the, when the main, when many main street brokers realize that it's, it turns into more of a volume, get lucky game. Right. 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 I do think that's prevalent on that note. I do think that's kind of why the whole like annual exclusive agreement is prevalent in our industry as well, because that's the way to kind of tie up the seller. Right. And is that an approach that you all take at, at small business? At small business deal advisors, we go month to month and we have a non-exclusive contract. So oh, interesting. Cancel any time. And if you find the buyer elsewhere, you don't have to pay. Interesting. Yeah. And that's not, not very common 8%. at all. <laughs> we're also 8%, not 10%. And um, so that, that, that we, and we do that because it's, it's appealing to the, to the sellers. Sure. Sure. And, and let's chat a bit more about that. I know that kind of one of the unique things about the way that you approach M&A is that you like to introduce technology into what's thought of as a relationships business, if you will. Um, I guess starting on kind of like a macro level, when you think about industries like insurance brokering or real estate brokering or business brokering, kind of what are the buckets of activities where technology is really useful? Um, is, it, is it on the marketing side? Is it I imagine it's more than just a CRM. Yeah. Um, well, certainly, I think the marketing side is where folks more naturally uh, understand, you know, how technology is beneficial. For us, it's it's mostly been through the years in administrative automation. So, you know, consider that, um, you know, every for every listing, you have to have an NDA signed by a buyer. Um, for every listing, you I guess you don't have to, but you should be asking all the buyers basic qualifying questions. I mean, asking buyers a couple of three, four, five questions up front can really eliminate a lot of headache down the road, um, or at least kind of qualify and disqualify kind of the ones that are serious and capable, right? Um, and so we we have automated you know, all of our NDAs are signed online. Um, if the buyers don't sign the NDA or don't answer the questions, they get a number of automatic reminder emails from our CRM and this kind of allows us to have one person that works part-time um, be the sole checkpoint for all NDAs and buyers coming into our, our ecosystem. And I, I think there's a couple advantages to that. One, you kind of have that central control point there. And I think two, you don't bog down your advisors with um, you know emailing out NDAs, um, wondering whether they got the NDA back, forgetting to follow up. Then once they get the NDA, do they even file it correctly? And, and I worked at other firms before I started my own where, you know, NDAs couldn't be produced sometimes. And, and I, I don't think it was anything, again, nefarious on the advisor side. It was just, you know, they had too many things going on. And so when you bog people down with administrative things, you know, they burn out quickly. So we, we've used a lot of tech and automation to take care of those inefficient um, kind of front of the project items. And then, of course, with marketing too, obviously, email marketing, uh, web, web MLS listings. I mean, those are things that are, are, have been around for, for decades now. We certainly use all of those. Right. So imagine if a, if a business broker's getting their feet wet in the industry for the first time, your, your advice would be something along the lines of invest in automating some of the admin paperwork so you can spend more time thinking about your lessons, marketing them, consulting with the business owners. Well, we have one gentleman that we, we brought on to our small business deal advisors. And he's been our top closer uh, for the past couple of years. And he used to work at a, another Main Street broker where there was nothing automated. It was all, everything was manual. And he would say, 
know, I, I would end each of my days with 25 to 40 emails about NDAs that I just didn't have time to get back to. So, um, and I think that that's kind of the life of the mainstream broker. And I think it's interesting because a lot of buyers that I, I talk to and have talked to for years say they're, they're, they're bewildered that they don't get responses from brokers. And I, I think that it's because they're, they're bogged down. Even if you look at some, if you look at a lot of brokers listings on biz buy sell, many of them will say, um, I, you know, I might not get back to you for two or three days. Well, why do you think? Right. Right. Yeah. In fact, I was speaking with a lady yesterday who's trying to buy a, a CPA firm and she reached out to a few business brokers in New Hampshire and they're all of them responded that they'll only, she should only hear back from them if there's an interested seller. Um, which doesn't sound like the, the best user experience for, you know, one half of the transaction. And, and I feel badly because, you know, buyers read, they read some of the, you know, M&A for dummies. They read some of the advice out there and it says, you know, call brokers, take brokers to coffee. But quite frankly, I don't think they're interested. Right. Um, you know, brokers are overwhelmed by buyer inquiries on specific projects. They, they generally and absolutely don't have time for a generic discussion. Right. Interesting. Um, and I guess one other area that I was kind of curious to hear about when you're thinking from the kind of broker's point of view, I know earlier we spoke about the 10% commission more broadly, where do you think the industry is, is headed? I guess one kind of thing that I've noticed is that it doesn't sound like most brokers value their time very highly because to your point, if they close four or five transactions in a year, that's a good living. And so kind of pitching them on a technology approach um, where that's not the case, I guess it's, it's, it's not the standard sales pitch, if you will, to get them bought into technology. Um, so I'm kind of curious how you see that, that playing out in the future. Okay. So I, and I, I don't know this, you know, for fact, um, just kind of from observation, um, maybe some hearsay, but I think that on the main street in particular, it, it, it tends to be dominated by a lot of the franchise uh, business brokerages. And I do think that they care about tech innovation. I mean, they must, right? Because they want to stay sure. relevant. But I, I think that to this point, it's extended to, um, you know, making sure that they have, a, you know, they, they give all their kind of new franchisees a website where they can put their listings. Um, I think they probably, uh, you know, maybe help with email hosting. Uh, and, and, but I, I think that's kind of where it ends. I mean, I, I, I think it's more kind of like a, you get a listing page, you get to use the brand, which can convey some um, authority. Um, and I think you get like a, a dated SIM template and evaluation model to use, but you don't get any type of administrative or marketing automation. Um, I don't believe you get any uh, assistance in terms of back office. I think those are things you have to hire on your own. And it, I can tell you one thing, it's, it's very, it's very difficult in this business. And it took me, you know, we're into our eighth year now. And I would say we, we only took on kind of more significant permanent infrastructure in terms of staff in probably year five or six. So it takes a while, you know, to get, to a point where when, you know, when you're only as good as your last deal, sometimes you don't know where the next dollar is coming from. And it's really tough to hire somebody on salary when you're sure, not sure, sure. where it's coming from, right? Um, and I can talk a little bit more about how we were able to do that if you want, but. Um, yeah, that would be, I, I, that'd be great. I'm curious about that, that journey. Well, 
you know, I think this is the golden goose of this industry right now, or, or, or the way we set it up. Um, you know, the month to month, and I, I'm definitely giving away a, a bit of a secret here, but the the month to month engagement, um, you know, it, is it's easy to I guess sell a seller on on engaging with you that model because they know they are not trapped for a year, and I think they also many of them understand that. Um, you know, if, if they sign an annual agreement with someone, they're probably not going to get a year's worth of consistent service, right? They're probably going to get a couple months of energy, and then they're going to have a hard time getting their phone calls and emails answered because their broker has moved on. So they know if we're going month to month, then you know, we, if we don't work for them, we have a high chance of being fired. And we tell them in trade, well, you're going you're gonna to pay us a small monthly fee. And it has this wonderful binding effect of, um, you know, the advisor knows they're getting a little bit, um, so they know their client's serious when they're paying, and also that, you know, paying for anything makes you pay attention to it. And I, you know, something that I don't know how often you discuss it with folks you interview, but sometimes clients paying attention to the process is, is a problem, right? Sure. So you know, buyers have information requests. Buyers want to do site visits. Buyers want to have a, a conference calls and you know, when you're not, when you kind of have no skin in the game, you know, maybe you, you do that next week, right? Or maybe you're on vacation or maybe you're too busy or maybe your books aren't done. So you'll get to that when you get to it, right? And as you mm -hmm. you know, these business owners generally don't want to spend a bunch of time with their financials. So um, that that month to month and that monthly, um, that monthly fee that we charge uh, and we credit it towards the, the commission. So, you know, they're not paying more but that has an absolutely magical effect. Interesting. And I guess it also has kind of the, the effect of that. I know, you know, most sellers try to sell it themselves for a month or two, potentially, whether that's, you know, oh, shopping it to employees or, or family yeah. members. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I think, I don't think many sellers go to the broker right away. Right. And only, this is very flexible. Like, yeah, exactly. So, and, and I think once, you know, we, we don't have that small business deal advisors, we don't have that um, exclusivity because I think, I think they see once they come on board that, you know, maybe the buyer they were struggling with for six months to get them to be responsive really isn't a buyer, right? right. Uh, and, 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 and so I, I guess, you know, to, to your question about the future, um, you know, I, I don't see a need declining for, um, you know, business brokers, business advisors, because it's just, it's very complex and people really don't know what they're getting themselves into. I mean, sellers don't really know what they're getting themselves into. Buyers don't know what they're getting themselves into. And the internet's not going to be kind of the one stop, you know, one stop place to solve that. In fact, I would say there's a deficit of, of good information on the web about this industry. Right. Maybe you're trying to solve that, <laughs> which I hope you are. Baby actually. steps. Yeah. Yeah. Baby steps. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I know that kind of one, one big aspect where brokers provide value is around education. Almost all sellers that I call directly, or rather business owners in Main Street, don't even know that business brokers are there to support them, the majority of, of the business owners. I, I would believe that. But then when you ask them if they would use them, they say, sure. And so obviously it's like, oh, well, I could just advertise to them. Well, probably not because I'm sure the business brokers would have been doing that 
um, if they could have. I guess where where are those sellers that are just not spending as much time on Google and Facebook, if you will, and so it's hard to capture them digitally? Are there other strategies that brokers should consider? Oh, you mean in terms of our outreach to prospective sellers? Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, it's uh, in, in the past couple of, actually probably in about the past year, um, we've really started to be kind of more aggressive at um, you know, mining our database and approaching um, you know, business owners, you know, ones that have been quite, you know, it's interesting, sometimes buyers are sellers and sellers are buyers, right? So mm -hmm. we've kind of gone back around to some of our buyers that we've been collecting for eight years, that you know, you know, strategic buyers that own companies, and we've kind of uh, targeted them uh, on the sell side. And I don't mean, you know, we're, we're doing anything, you know, shady. We're basically just saying, hey, if you've ever thought about your own transition, we're happy to start that process of talking to you about it because we know it's a long-term education and it's not something that most business owners just wake up one morning and say, oh, it's time to sell, right? I mean, they, they have to start understanding about valuation and timeline and types of buyers, deal structure, and financing with those buyers and their transition period and all, all the, well, what their employees are going to think, what their spouse is going to think. I mean, there's so many different things to, you know, what they're going to do with the money, right? Um, there's so many things to think about. Uh, so that's been quite effective, actually. Um, you know, so, so again, to a tech point, keeping everybody organized in a CRM and consistently remarketing to them um, has been helpful for us. We have also been doing a lot of, you know, uh, you know cold marketing and outreach to, to business owners, um, continue to invest in content for our site so that we come up high in Google for, you know, business brokers, M&A firms in our area, um, businesses for sale. Uh, I mean, that those are ways that we have continue to nurture our lead flow here from kind of a, I guess, a marketing outreach basis uh, and obviously building referrals and things like that too. That's, that's something that we try to do. Although I would argue that we're probably poor at that versus our, our outbound marketing methods. It's, it's always, it comes from my background as a telemarketing salesperson and that was my first job out of college. So all, all everything that we've built here has been kind of around that desperate salesperson um, trying to, trying to sell something to uh, someone they don't know. Right. <laughs> well, it seems like you've done a pretty good job. Oh, um, awesome. I think uh, that about wraps it up for Maya. And I wanted to make sure that we had time for you to kind of give a last plug for um, both Calder and Small Business Deal Advisors. I know you're kind of working on some really interesting stuff on, on both sides there. Yeah. Um, well, I, I guess I can say, you know, one other thing from a tech standpoint we haven't discussed and, and something that's blowing my mind right now that we hired a data analytics firm at the end of 2020. Uh, and I, I had no idea even really what they would do. This was just kind of one of these things I wanted to experiment with. And they ended up mining 2 million plus emails that we sent out over a two-year period, you know, to start pulling out data, you know, for example, which emails um, get opened and they, they analyze things like time of day, day of the week, subject line they've even analyzed you know company specific email versus um you know like hotmail gmail generic emails sure. so now we're, we're starting to be able to use our own data to improve our opens and responses and clicks um, and i think that this is going to help both buyers and sellers going forward because things will just be written in a way that is more likely to elicit a response right uh, and in terms of plug for the companies, I mean, I guess I would say, you know, 
any company that's willing to work on a month-to-month model is going to have to prove that they're working, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I would recommend to sellers you know, to not sign up for an annual agreement. Um, it's, it's oftentimes a, a, you know, walking down a painful road to do that. Um, and I guess the other thing, too, is we, we want to make sure up front we invest a lot before we even ask for an engagement contract. We're going to invest a lot in making sure that our prospect, our prospective clients understand what the market's likely to say. We don't like them to be surprised. Um, we want, need to make sure to set reasonable expectations. And if, if we're not seeing eye to eye or, you know, the seller needs 3 million and we're telling them tops two, you know, that, that way we can just kind of part ways and we can revisit in the future. Sure. It aligns incentives in a very clear way. Exactly. Every, everything that we're trying to build is trying to align incentives for us and for the client. And, and I still think our industry is, is a, a bit of a taxi cab in that respect. But thank you so much for joining us today, Max. Yeah, it's been great. I appreciate the time. Yeah. 